Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. You are listening to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Rain, the risk intelligence company. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Chinese leader Xi Jinping secured a new term and a thoroughly loyal cabinet following China's 20th Party Congress. There's so much to talk about. Rain subscribers can get the full rundown at rainnetwork.com. But here with a quick overview is Chase Blazik, who was up for 24 hours a day following developments from the Congress, right, Chase? <laughs> yeah, more or less. Good to see you, Emily. Good to see you. Listen, what were the key events of the Party Congress? Yeah, so the, the big thing to watch here was just how much Xi Jinping was able to consolidate political power, more or less. There's a lot of intricacies about uh party politics, but that's that's the short and sweet. Um, the context of this is since the 1980s, after Mao Zedong died and China sort of got out of its ruinous, um, you know, formal communist years and into the sort of booming days of, of economic growth, China's leaders since the early 1980s have said, okay, the Mao years were awful. <laughs> Let's make sure we never do that one man rule thing again. Uh, and instead, we're going to have consensus-based leadership where there will be a, a clear paramount leader, but there will also be a group around them uh, to sort of buffer their ideas and make sure we hammer out the, the best policies. That continued up through 2012 when Xi Jinping took office, and he has slowly chipped away at that through a, through a variety of tools, including his anti-corruption campaign, which aside from actually tackling some corruption, which he did, it also was quite convenient for purging his political rivals and that is, as the context, is what we saw continued in this party congress. Um, she got more than anyone expected him to get uh, in the Politburo and the Politburo Standing Committee, which is kind of like China's cabinet uh, for the executive office, um, in that all the folks from other factions are gone, um, which is somewhat unprecedented, again, since the Mao days. Um, that the, the, the faction under former President Jiang Zemin, his Shanghai clique, and under uh, another former President Hu Jintao, his Communist Youth League, folks who came up uh, with those patronage networks are now gone uh, from the halls of power. And it's really just these folks who were either worked alongside Xi Jinping in his younger days, or who since them then have um, come alongside him politically and, and aligned their views with him. These are the only folks in the Politburo Standing Committee uh, right now. Um, so that's the, that's the most uh, important uh, development coming out of this Congress, which means his kinds of ideas, his sort of uh, national security mindset towards all policies, uh, his focus on anti-corruption, like I mentioned, his, his strong intent to revive ideology in Chinese society and not just have people say, well, yes, technically we're governed by a communist party, but basically we're capitalist and we just want money like everyone else. Uh, he doesn't want that. That's not good enough for him. He wants people to genuinely believe in some of the, the rhetoric and the ideology that the Communist Party brings to the table. And with all those other factions out of the way, he can truly push through some of his policies. Um, we also saw some changes to the Constitution, added a lot of jargon like the two establishments and the two safeguards, 
which basically um, adds to the party constitution uh, portions that say Xi Jinping is the core leader of the Chinese Communist Party, and his thought, Xi Jinping thought, uh, is the core idea for leading China in this new era, um, which is a pretty good <laughs> win if you're trying to establish your rule for the foreseeable future. And then we saw some goofy stuff at the party congress. I'm sure you saw the video, Emily, um, of Hu Jintao, the previous Chinese president, sitting right next to Xi Jinping, being forcibly removed from the congress while cameras were rolling. Um, we don't know what this meant. Uh, he's an old man, 79 years old. He could have simply had some health issues or, or some other um, very understandable issues. But these events are extremely choreographed. They only happen once every five years. So for something like this to happen unexpectedly, it, it just doesn't happen that often. So if you want to read the political tea leaves on this, you could say Xi Jinping was trying to send an even stronger message to anyone watching uh, that if you're going to be a leader in the CCP, it's my way uh, and not the way of, of Hu Jintao or any other uh, political leader in China. Well, Chase, let's talk about what that might mean for China domestically. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the immediate term is that Xi has, um, like I said, he has this power base, he can push through his policies however he likes, and he really doesn't have anyone who looks like they might be a successor to him come 2027 at the next party congress. Um, and that's because of the seven people on the Politburo Standing Committee, um, from where China normally picks its next general secretary, uh, the youngest among them would be 65 by the time 2027 rolls around. And while that's younger than Xi Jinping, uh, she is increasingly an exception to the rule, and 65 is quite an old age to start being the general secretary, which means um, unless there's a shakeup or unless this, this youngest guy does tend to be the successor, which it doesn't look likely right now, Xi Jinping may be well slotted for, for yet another five-year term come 2027, assuming his old age doesn't get the best of him, um, uh, of his capacities. Uh, his policies, specifically what will be pushed um, in the next five years, if not the next 10, are his common prosperity policy, uh, which is meant to target wealth gaps and say, you know, it's not fair that the people on the East Coast are so rich and the people in the interior are so poor, which is a very populist message. It, it gets a lot of traction in Chinese society. But the West is quite scared, and, and Xi Jinping hasn't helped delay these fears because he has mentioned a number of times we want to limit excessive incomes and redistribute income. And people don't know what this means exactly, um, it, how far this redistribution of wealth will go. There's also anti-corruption, which will continue to help uh, Xi Jinping target his rivals if anyone wants to uh, start new factions or try to revive these down factions. His zero COVID policy, um, which while it is a health policy, it has also been something that's been narratively quite convenient for Beijing. Because if you recall at the very beginning of the pandemic, the narrative was uh, it's you know right or wrong. It was that the, the, the Chinese Communist Party let this, this virus get out uh, all because of pride. And they didn't want to tell the world that they had made a mistake in containing a virus. Uh, and so they silenced people at home. And then it, it went uh, worldwide. And so the narrative since then has been, well, even though that may or may not have happened, which China denies that narrative, we now have zero COVID, which is a much better strategy. And Xi Jinping has really adopted this. Um, so they're going to keep on with that uh, for as long as it helps protect the Chinese people in the CCP's eyes and helps protect this sort of narrative of, of uh, effective governance. Um, the scrutiny on the real estate sector, which is causing it to be <laughs> sort of in the dumps right now, and is a big deal because that's, uh, that's decreasing consumer and business sentiment. 
Uh, that will uh, continue because Xi Jinping very much believes that China's economy needs to move away from relying so much on real estate growth. Uh, regulatory scrutiny on the tech sector, crushing resistance in places like Hong Kong and Xinjiang. These are all the, the t types of Xi Jinping policies that without any pragmatists or, or rival factions in the upper echelons of power, he's pretty free to pursue. One role that has, in, in recent years, acted to sort of buffer Xi Jinping on some of these policies is Li Keqiang, who's the current premier and is of uh, one of these previous factions I mentioned. Uh, but he is now uh, slated to be out of the party in, in uh, a few months, a few short months here. Uh, pardon me, out of the, the top um, leadership roles. And who will replace him is unknown so far, but the top pick, the most likely pick based off of you know, the order of people who showed up at this first plenum on this past Sunday, uh, is Li Chang, who is the guy who uh, is the head of the Shanghai uh, Party uh, Committee. He implemented these zero COVID policies, and he doesn't have a lot of central administrative experience in China, um, though he does have some experience with economic policy making in his local Shanghai area. Um, so the question is, will this relative, um, relatively green premier be able to help China out of its current economic downturn. Like I mentioned, real estate is down, export demand uh, is down, consumer confidence is down, zero COVID is still hanging around and restricting business travel. So there's a lot of hoops and, and I should say difficulties that the, whoever is going to be the next premier is going to have to help the CCP navigate. And they don't really seem to have this sort of skillful, masterful um, administrator like Li Keqiang to fill that role. And I'd say that's probably the biggest uh, implication going forward, uh, especially in the next 12 months. Okay, so domestically, there's a lot going on. But of course, there was quite a bit of news with regard to China's foreign relations as well. Can you share some details? Yeah, sure. Um, there was quite a bit, especially in the recruitment process, that leads uh, analysts like myself to believe this next uh, leadership uh, cohort and China will be focused heavily on national security, uh, maintaining China's technological competitiveness, especially in light of Western restrictions, uh, and, and maintaining a sort of political leadership role of Xi Jinping. Uh, and that means this sort of supply chain and technological competition with the West is likely to persist, as well as China's efforts, um, futile as they may be in some cases, to develop new legal tools to level, uh, level sanctions against the United States and Europe in response to these, for example, chip sanctions of late. Uh, this will be the focus, making sure that China can weather this storm uh, of, of negative sentiment toward China, especially in the West over the last five years, uh, and come out stronger for it. Um, this also means uh, national security is sort of the mindset uh, overall. So this sort of brinkmanship toward Taiwan will persist. Uh, I don't believe there is really anything in the party Congress that should make us believe that a Taiwan invasion is that much more likely um, than it was prior to the party Congress. But given he has, you know, all of his favorite people surrounding him now in the leadership halls, uh, there is a real risk of an echo chamber forming where when he says something on the economy or foreign policy and everyone around him, these top leaders say, I think that's a fantastic idea. And the lower cadres throughout the Chinese Communist Party who are feeding economic and military modernization data up to Beijing are also going to be motivated to feed that data or curate that data in such a way that it satisfies their superiors. 
So there's a real risk that uh, though Beijing under an empowered Xi Jinping could do some quite grand scale uh, industrial policy with all the levers of the state, on the other hand, that means they could have some massive policy failures that either no one sees coming or no one is willing to tell the central leadership, the central leadership, pardon me, uh, that, uh, sir, we don't think this is a great idea. Um, aside from the policy mistakes themselves, the, the Chinese market will become more fraught, I'd say, for foreign companies because all the, 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 I don't know, the milieu, the sort of sentiment in society that Xi Jinping has been pushing of pro-China, anti-West, everything is ideology in society and, and pushing political influence of the CCP deeper into society, these things are not great for the business environment and for making Western businesses feel like I can come to China and have an even playing field and have customers that are going to like me or at least like my product. Um, so that's, I'd say, another uh, implication going forward here. Chase Blazik is an Asia-Pacific analyst with Rain. Chase, thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. Chase Blazik's Rain Worldview Geopolitical Analysis appears on our Risk Intelligence app for professionals and also on our consumer publication. You can find out more about Rain Worldview at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.